In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our Gospel this Sunday, it is the evening of the first day of the week, and the disciples are in hiding. They are quite naturally afraid. All that they hoped for seems to have been in vain. Their leader has been put to death. All seems lost. Now they simply hope they can escape with their lives. And then something remarkable happens. Our Lord appears to them. He stands in their midst and says, Peace be with you. No doubt that changed the atmosphere in the room, to say the least. The disciples had heard rumors of the resurrection, but that all seemed too good to be true. A fairy tale, simply not possible. And yet, out of nowhere, Jesus appears to them, and as if to allay all of their doubts and fears, he says, Peace be with you. And this is no ordinary greeting, is not meant to simply overcome the disappointment the disciples naturally were experiencing, nor was it meant to allay the fears the disciples had about their survival. Jesus' greeting of peace was much more than that. It was an expression of fulfillment. It was an answer to all the questions that come from our very depths. It was an answer to our existential limitations, to our helplessness in the face of sin and its effects upon us. Within that peace which Christ gives to us is mercy, the forgiveness of our sins. Humanity is reconciled to God, or perhaps to speak more clearly, God's mercy is now a real possibility for us. It is freely offered to us. Jesus gives this mercy to his disciples when he says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. If we are truly sorry for our sins, if even though we know we are weak, if we are at least willing to try and avoid that sin in the future, then we can confidently approach those ministers of the gospel who are authorized to forgive sins. We should never underestimate the power of God's mercy, what it can accomplish, who it can impact. Many times it does so in ways that we never thought possible. The history of Christianity is full of examples of this mercy. One story that might be familiar with you to you is told in the movie The Scarlet and the Black. It tells a very beautiful story of God's mercy. It takes us to Rome during the Nazi occupation and tells the story of Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty, who worked to save the lives of countless Jews and escaped Allied POWs. And as you can imagine, he became a target for the SS police force, and in particular was hated by the German authorities, especially the SS Lieutenant Colonel Herbert Kapler. Kapler tries unsuccessfully in the movie to destroy, and in real life, to destroy the priest's network But the Goodman Sr. was always one step ahead of him. As the Allied forces are about to retake the city of Rome, Kapler comes to Monsignor O'Flaherty and asks to have his wife and boys smuggled out of the city before the Allies take over. While Kapler is captured, the Monsignor is able to use his resources to get Kapler's family to safety. But the story doesn't just end there. During Kapler's prison sentence, his only visitor was none other than Monsignor O'Flaherty. These regular visits would continue. Even 
culminating in Kapler's conversion to the Catholic faith. He was baptized by the Monsignor in 1959. And this is perhaps really one of the greatest stories of God's mercy, and I'm sure one that stirred controversy during its day. How could a monster like Kapler be allowed to convert? Mercy is fine when it deals with politically correct sins, but what about when it is applied to those who held unpopular views and who acted on them? Certainly God's mercy cannot be applied to them. Yet we know that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven, no matter how terrible and secret it might be. It's always a challenge as a priest to get people to be willing to confess all their sins, even the embarrassing ones. We all have that, but it's okay. We know that the priest has heard pretty much everything. God's mercy is greater than anything that we may have done. And there is such great peace when we know that our sins, especially the most embarrassing ones, are forgiven. Only two things can keep us from this mercy, a presumption that we don't need it, or a despair that it cannot help us. And either way, we reject it. We call this the sin against the Holy Spirit, and this sin will never be forgiven because we refuse to open ourselves to God's mercy. It is our rejection of God, not God's rejection of us. Today, the church is also celebrating the second Sunday of Easter, or Divine Mercy Sunday. This feast found its origins in the private revelations of St. Faustina Kowalska, a Polish nun, to whom our Lord appeared. And about this feast, our Lord tells St. Faustina, I desire that the Feast of Mercy be a refuge and shelter for all souls, and especially for poor sinners. The soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. Certainly not a bad deal for us. I think the promise speaks for itself. It's not one that we should pass up. And isn't it interesting that St. Faustina in her diary, Divine Mercy in My Soul, where she records her private revelations. I think other than the Bible, no other book has formed me more as a Catholic Christian and as a priest. But in the diary, it's interesting, she records how the Lord tells her that this devotion will be rejected by the church authorities, and only later will it miraculously revive. And it's always fascinating to me that the priest who condemned the messages and devotion was none other than Monsignor O'Flaherty of the Holy Office in Rome, the same Monsignor who was undoubtedly one of the greatest witnesses of that divine mercy in the 20th century. Now, it's been argued that the Monsignor uh, had a bad or faulty translation. Uh, in any case, it would only be later on we know with the Polish Pope that this devotion would again be resurrected. Regardless of how this devotion to divine mercy came into existence, the Church has vindicated this saint, and the Feast of Divine Mercy is now a mainstay in the Church. And the world, we know, needs this mercy now more than at any other time in her history. We all have anxieties in life, fears about what might happen to us or to our loved ones. The evil one plays on those fears. He makes false promises to us, promises that never pan out, but instead enslave us even more to the same fears and give us a restless spirit. But in the midst of those fears, our Lord appears to us and says, Peace be with you. It is the peace of the resurrected Christ 
who has reconciled us to his heavenly Father. It is a peace that comes to us through the hierarchy of the church, through those who have been entrusted with that mercy. This is not a mercy that simply ignores sin. It is a mercy that challenges us to recognize our sins, to bring them before the divine healer and have them removed forever. It is a mercy that challenges us to keep the commandments as a sign of our love for Jesus. It is a mercy that gives us a peace, putting to rest our worst fears and overcoming even death itself. Let us turn to Jesus and ask once again for that mercy. Let us ask that through the ministry of his church, that mercy may become a reality in the most intimate recesses of our hearts and reach to the outermost corners of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.